Come on up, let's give it up for Dr. Cliff Harden. All right, thank you. I want to meet this guy. Who is it? Well, thank you, Brandon, for those uh, kind words. Um, this, is a, this is a new venture for me, but it's, what you're going to see is that I am very, 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 very passionate about the connection of mental health and Christianity. Very passionate about that. Um, it's actually what drew me to come to Southeastern in the first place. Um, because Southeastern is God-honoring and helping to bring people who claim their faith first into career opportunities and expertise. They're good to be good at what they do, but to also be Christian in what their beliefs are and what their values are. And that, that is the place that they can then actually influence the world from whatever field they're in. So I just got blessed to be called to go there 13 years ago and uh, to be a part of the, the graduate counseling program for the last number of years. So um, I know some stuff, I guess, um, that I want to share. And I, but I want to give you a perspective uh, in just a minute. But before we do, would you all pray with me? Father God, I just thank you that you've given this opportunity for us to be together. I just ask that whatever is spoken and whatever is heard would honor you and would be useful to your people that are here tonight. We thank, I thank you, Lord, for what you're given this opportunity for, and I give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Is the, oh, it's up. Okay. Um, I don't know how I'll do with maneuvering all these parts because I get to do like move this around a little bit, I think, if it works. Hello? Did you do it? Oh, I got to turn it on. Oh, yeah, that works. All right. Yeah. Well, um, Brandon told you some things about me, but um, I, I always, I'm coming out of the classroom and I have a classroom experience, which may be good, it may be bad for you. I'm not sure. Uh, but I want to give you some, some thoughts about that. One is, if you're not looking at me and you're looking at your text or your phone, I'm used to that, so I'll still keep talking, okay? So that's going to happen. Uh, so don't look down. If you look down, look away. I'm, it's still going to keep going, so I won't stop. Um, secondly, I have a warped, no, a strange sense of humor, uh, which has some sarcasm to it. My students have to know that when they get to know me so that they can sort of take what I say. But I am very passionate about the fact that Christianity and psychology and mental health fields are not contradictory at all. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute, but that's kind of the basis. You notice on that first slide, if I can go back to it, it says it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. Why, why when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, why don't we talk about reality of what's happening in our world and in us as people, and can we not, in our communities, become supporters and encouragers and compassionate folks along the way and understand it better. 
and through not anybody's fault, I think there's, there's become this issue that somehow being Christian or be, and a, being a psychologist don't work, or being a counselor and being a, 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 uh, a Christian don't go together. So I want to give you one more piece of introduction of me that Brandon didn't say because it's very personal to me. Um, when, I, when I was in practice, I was fortunate to be able to uh, have a private practice in which I could set some standards for myself and kind of set it up that way with um, a validly Christian background. That's what I was there for to help serve. Didn't just see people who wanted that, but that was part of what I did. Um, so what I would do when I met people for, who came in for counseling, I'd say, let me tell you, I, uh, I'm a Christian psychologist. Now, I know that people have different ideas what that is, so I didn't leave it there. I said, I'm going to tell you what it means <laughs> for me. Here's what it means. It means I'm a Christian who happens to be a psychologist and not a physician, not a lawyer, not a businessman. I'm a psychologist. But what it also means is that my Christianity goes with me everywhere I go. I try to live that out. Not always successful, nor are any of us, I believe. But I, that's, that's where I'm at. So if I see you in my office, God, God's with me and my Christianity is there. doesn't matter if I have a... I'm in a church or whatever, it's me. So I believe that the Christian, Christian psychologist and Christian counselors is the person who is the Christian, not the place they practice and not exactly what they do. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, I, I think that's an important thing to understand. Um, if any profession you're in, it's your ministry and it's your opportunity to represent the Lord and to do it with those values in mind. So, so I don't know what they take that as. And some people say, nah, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff. I'm sorry, but you sound like you've got credentials, so I'll talk to you. Other people say, yes, please, pray with me, do, do whatever. It doesn't matter to me because my presence being there, hopefully God will use and will help me to be used well, even if I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with this person sitting in front of me who came in for counseling. <laughs> I'm going to be very transparent here tonight because I want you to understand that I'm not, I, I'm not any different as a, a Christian person than any of you in that respect. But my, my chosen field and the gifts that I've been given allow me to use that. So enough about me. But uh, if you'll notice, I have a strange library um, but some of those books are Christian counseling, caring for people, God's ways. Actually, you can't see that little one that's on top, but it says spiritual healing. Uh, and then the other ones are counseling and psychotherapy, psychopharmacology, the DSM-5. <laughs> Strange book. Um, ask me about it sometime. Brianna's laughing. But by the way, I have, I'm going to have two people that are going to be working along with me over the next three weeks. One of them is Brianna Pimpiano. Wave your hand. Brianna is a, has her master's degree in marriage and family counseling, so she can, she's a professional in that field. And uh, Tina Vargas is not here tonight, but she has, she's just completing her master's in social work with uh, experience in counseling as well. So I've asked them to 
kind of hang in there with us. But one of the things I've asked Brianna to do, if she would, and if, if you wouldn't mind helping her, um, I'm going to hand out index cards to everybody in pens. And what I want you to do is to think if there's a question that, or an area that you want addressed during this series, write it down on, on the card. And we're going to gather those cards at the end so that we can adapt this uh, presentation to meet your needs and to give you ideas about things you want. Would you do that for me? Okay. All right, let's go. Here we go. Will you work? There. You know who that guy is. I won't tell you any more stories, but you can ask me later. All right. What do I hope to accomplish? Well, these are the goals or objectives. I want to help increase understanding of life issues in mental health, to help lessen the shame and stigma often connected to these issues, particularly in some places in the Christian world in our day. Okay, this is not an indictment of Christianity. I'm not, that's not, I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes there are ideas on the psychology and counseling side and sometimes on the Christian side that are perceptions that I personally don't think are valid. But uh, hopefully you'll see where my I'm going to present for you a, pers a perspective. You can take it and use it. You can ask questions. You can mess around with it. But I'm, I'm going to give you some stuff to think about. Hopefully you're going to think. Anybody ready to think tonight? All right. I may ask you to participate some, okay? So you never know. My students never know who I'm going to call on. Dum, da, dum, dum. Well, I won't call on you, but I'll ask. Okay. So to help lessen the shame and stigma to it, encourage a building a faith community, especially here, that allows for support and compassion regarding mental health issues. I strongly believe that the community's setup and the opportunity for those relationships makes it uh, a, a way for us to support one another when we go through life issues, when we go through life issues. All right. And then to address any, some questions you had. No, I'm not going to give Jeremiah a diagnosis, but look on page 255 of DSM-5 and you'll find him. No. Uh, <laughs> that's not the point. We're not going to solve anybody's individual problem in here, but we'll try to give you an overview in which to think and hopefully some options to kind of consider for further exploration. Okay. You all with me? Can you hang with, can you hang with me? Okay. All right. Here we go. Here's some numbers. Almost 57.5 million American adults experience a mental illness or challenge in a given year. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I don't know how many exactly would be Christians in that group, but I don't need to know if that's the general population. It's probably a percentage like that. The second one, one out of five pastors who were surveyed in a recent information that I looked at indicated that they have personally struggled with a mental illness of some kind during their lives. So when we hear of pastors who commit suicide, or we hear of things that happen to the highest leaders that we have in our churches, we probably shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that that's the case. But Two-thirds of pastors rarely or never speak about mental health 
in sermons or in messages that they give. That's, a, that's not much information coming out from our leaders in the church communities. So, okay. Moving from that. So why do you think nobody wants to talk about it in church? What do you think? Anybody who got some ideas why they don't want to do it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lack of information or education about it. Uh-huh. It's scary to talk about things that are mental. Mm-hmm. The stigma attached to it, we mentioned that a little bit too, yep. Because what, 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 what are they going to think of me if they know that I have struggles? Yes, sir. People may get offended if you bring it up because we're not supposed to have those things. We're not supposed to talk about them. Okay. Please. Maybe there's some confusion about whether or not demonic. Confusion about whether it's demonic or what's the nature of it or am I possessed or am I oppressed. Um, we're gonna talk, we'll talk a little bit about that along the way. Any others? Those are good. Those are good. I, I am particularly concerned about pastors who are not able to talk about their issues um, with anybody. Pastors can become very isolated. Um, I want to say, Barry's not here tonight, but I want to say a word of, uh, and I told him this already, um, I was encouraged that he was willing to talk a few weeks ago about his own struggle. Uh, with, I think he called it spiritual depression, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's an important recognition to be able to say. Uh, and so um, the two major ones, stigma's already been mentioned, but I'm shame as well. People are ashamed to say, I have whatever. You, you put the label in, whatever you want to put. Okay, but moving ahead. How many of you think, you don't have to answer this out loud or raise your hand, but I want you to think about it for a minute. How many of you had direct experience with yourself, your family, or your friends having been described using any of these following common terms? Depression, anybody, anybody had that in their lives or in their family's lives? Anxiety, dementia, anybody heard that happen? ADHD, that's out there. Okay, postpartum depression, there's a... There's one for you. Bereavement. Anybody go through a loss? Okay. Marital or family quote issues. Stress. Stress. They are all. They're all going to claim them all. You can't claim them all. Come on. You only. You only get certain ones. Come on. I look in the mirror and I. And you know I can raise my hand to a number of these. Okay. And I think that's an important thing to recognize because. We sometimes believe that speaking about a weakness or a mental health issue is a weakness, and that says something bad about us. When I believe being able to speak about real-life issues, listen, I can give you a litany of things in my own life that match into these categories. Honest engine, I can't. Boy, that's an old expression. Boy, I must be old. Well, I'm one of those gray haired, so what can I say? Uh, but I can tell you that in my family, in myself, I, have, I personally have 
sought counseling at different times, even after I had my uh, professional training. That's a little weird, you know, to go ask for counseling when you're a counselor, because you're supposed to help everybody else, right? That was freaky. But I needed to. I needed to. I needed to seek professional help. And there are different types of professional help, including, I'll say it here, and, and we can talk more about medications are not of the devil themselves, okay? I'm just, that's, this is my opinion, and I, I'll talk a little bit more about medications as in when used well and by the right, in the right way by people who know what they're doing. Okay, that's a big, big if, but, um, you know, I've had periods of time when, when I have had uh, medications that I have used during times when I've needed them, and I, I do that. I have done that. So, so, since we're all in this boat, shouldn't we be able to talk? Shouldn't we be able to, like, say, hey, this is, this is real life? Are we life? You know, and if we, if we are family, in our own families, and we are with our friends, look, if you have an issue in your family, yes, I know people will deny and not talk about it and stay away from Uncle Fred. He's that weird uncle. And um, Here's my thought about that. What, what happens, I don't know why God does this or did this, but when they're up overlooking the battlefield, when Moses and Aaron and her are overlooking the battlefield, for some reason God decided that when Moses' hands were lifted up, Joshua and the troops were winning. They were beating one of those ites, you know, Moabites, Amalekites. I don't know which one, but one of, one of those ites. Parasites, yeah, I like that one. So, but when his hands got tired and it came down, the battle went against them. So I'm thinking, that's, that's kind of strange. I don't know why that God did that. But it occurred to me that Moses is this guy who in the Old Testament, first of all, wrote a good part of the Old Testament. Second, was known to have come down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments and seeing God, and his face was shining so much that he had to put a cover over it because nobody could look at him. He's this guy who's about as close as anybody has gotten to God or Yahweh, and his arms are getting tired. So these two other guys are there holding his arms up. That sounds fun. My brother would hold my arms up if I had one. You know, I, that's cool. And her, he's a friend. But here's the deal. The, other, the only other place that we see both Aaron and her together are in the story of the golden calf, which if you, if you remember, when Moses was up there, Aaron was in charge, and they, they put together this golden calf and started worshiping it. So they were engaging in pretty direct idolatry, let's say. So there's these two idolaters holding up the man that knows God better than anybody's hands in the midst of this trouble. Think about that. And Moses, in his own right, when, they, when he came down and got angry and threw the tablets at the um, the calf, and grounded in the dust, I think is what he says. Moses prayed to God that those two would not be smited, knocked down. 
What kind of relationship is that? We can be held up by somebody who's also broken, and we can hold up others who are broken, and both are okay. That's what a community is about, I think. So in the background, my brain is thinking, when we look at a community that's able to deal with anything, we need to be thinking about that kind of relationship. Can we make those relationships happen? Well, I got a little side rabbit trail, but that's okay. Uh, we got more time. Uh, I uh, have put up here some things that I call unfortunate impressions. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, I kind of mean like they are like wrong thinking. I believe wrong thinking and are not. Uh, I thought about calling it myths and, and doing mythbusters. Decided not. Uh, so unfortunate impressions. So let's. I want to go through a couple of them and give you some background. Remember. The title of this program is The Church, God's Word, and Mental Health. God's Word is in me. Okay, so as we go through, it's going to be important to remember that those things not only exist in my sentence, but are there. All right. Mental health struggles are all based on a lack of faith, sin, or weak spirituality. That's the unfortunate impression that some people have. A corollary or a sidebar is, so true believers and people of faith never have these issues. Hmm, what do you think of that? You know anybody who thinks that? Ever met, you don't have to raise your hand, please. But have, if you, have you heard, had people who kind of like said, if you had enough faith, you know, if you had it all together and were truly doing what God wanted you to do, you wouldn't have these troubles. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to uh, give you another another thought about this, if I can make it go forward. What about some real people that we know are in the Bible? Here's God's word. All right. What about these folks? Jeremiah. Anybody ever heard that guy? He, prophet Jeremiah. Not ours, but the the prophet I, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. They called him the weeping prophet. What a name. A weeping prophet. It sounds pretty sad to me. Well, let's look at some things that about Jeremiah. Here's scripture in 20, chapter 20 of Jeremiah, verse 18. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? Whoa. Depression, perhaps? Maybe. Just thinking. Just thinking. By the way, I don't include Job in this. I'll let you figure that one out yourself. Um, okay, so we got Jeremiah. What about, let's see, here's another one. Oh, David, one of my favorites. The king and the man after God's own heart. All right, what about David? What, what do we have from him? Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22.1. How about this one? Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My wastes away with grief and my years with sighing. Whoa. And there are many others, by the way, in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, there are struggles that David overtly talks about. To me, that's encouraging because when I go through struggles, I want to know that people of God can go through struggles and can be 
but we'll have them. They will have them. He never said, God, God has told us, in this, Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. My favorite scripture verse, in this world you will have trouble. I don't like the one that comes behind it too much, although it, I kind of get it. I wish it said, in this world you will have trouble, and I'm going to take it away in two weeks. Did you know that verse? I don't. What does it say after that? I have, take heart for, I have overcome the world. Great. You're out of the world. I'm still here. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, uh, that means we're all going to have stuff. I think that's what it says. So David having his stuff, Job having his stuff, Jeremiah having his stuff. Uh, if you look at these, uh, you think you know, there's a couple of extra ones. You can look them up if you wish. Hopelessness, maybe? That crossed your mind when you read his stuff? Could be. Could be. All right, let's find another. Oh, Eli this is one of my favorites. Elijah from the Old Testament. He was a prophet. He was the guy that was taken away in the ch chariot of fire. Wow, what a hero. Well, let's see. In that chapter and verse, and that chapter 19, he, he's the guy who challenged all the priests of the Baal gods to a, a sacrificial duel. You put yours out, I'll put mine, boom, boom. Whoever God, if your gods are listening, they'll burn up your, take your sacrifice. If, it, my, if my, my God is the God, Yahweh, he will do it. Well, he even, he even gets kind of cocky, I think, if you read that. Read it sometimes. So like, What's the matter, guys? Is your Baal God sleeping? <laughs> no? Okay. And he wins. And then the, the Israelites say, we're gonna, we're, we're, we know the true God. We know the true God. Okay, fast forward. Y'all ready? Next, next chapter, same book. Jezebel threatens Elijah's life. And this is what it says. But he, he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under, under a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. Maybe, maybe, death wish, suicide, I don't know. Just speculating with you, possibility. I got a couple more just so to balance out the New Testament with the Old so you can have that one too. Paul the Apostle, the guy who is author of the most New Testament books that we have. Okay, what about Paul? Well, this is Paul's quandary in Romans. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sound like a happy camper? Ah, it sounds like a little struggle going on there for me. Sounds familiar to, to me sometimes, too. <laughs> Just, just saying, just saying. I could be, I'm be being, being vulnerable. But internal struggles, torment, and worry. Huh. Paul, great man of God, come on. All right, well, I'll take us to the end. 
You knew it was going here probably. The Lord Jesus himself. Now, understand what I'm saying here. Our beliefs are that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Now, I can't understand that in this pea picker brain of mine. I can't. But that's what we believe. Is that true? Raise your hand if you think that's that's all right. We get that's that's what we're that's what we believe. All right. So so there's a humanity fully and a God fully at once. So let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, or some translations say grieved. All right. His sweat became like drops of blood. That sounds like a little bit of stress, physical reaction. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Repeating what David said in the Psalms that we saw earlier. That doesn't make me have any less faith in Jesus as my Lord. That just tells me the suffering of man he experienced. So why should we not believe we, we will experience those in things that happen in our lives? So anyway, so have you all been convinced that that misunderstanding is a misunderstanding? All right, let's do another one. Oh, that's right. This is the way I would describe it. Human despair as fully man as well as God. That's what we're, that's what we're, the words that are captured here, that the evangelists who wrote them down capture for us. Okay. Any questions about number one, or shall I go to number two of these unfortunate impressions? Okay. Number two, every mental disorder is solely, that's an important word, based on demonic activity and spiritual bondage. For example, possession, or oppression. The sub-reasoning is the only way to healing, the only way to healing is by prayer. And we can do nothing else. Now that may hit some of you as like, what is this guy like? Is he really Christian? You know, is he, is he have, what kind of belief system is this? Doesn't he believe in demons? Doesn't he know Satan's real? Yes. I do, and I believe that. And I didn't say possession or oppression does not occur. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is if we it solely mental disorder is only that, it's only on the level of uh, looking at spirituality alone and one type of spiritual warfare, which I believe in spiritual warfare. But I think we can get distorted a little bit. It can get, get it out of the way. So let me give you a, a different way of considering number two. And you can tell me if you agree or not, and that's fine, and I'll believe what I believe. And by the way, we, we are able to disagree, and we are able to, uh, uh, there's, there is a book I've been reading called Uncommon Decency. So I recommend it highly if you want to know about it. I'll tell you about it. I think it's a, a lost art in some respects, but we need to have it. Okay. So, I look at it this way. We were created 
as humans, as spiritual beings who also have a body, a physical essence, and a soul. The soul is described as having, being the site of the will, the mind, and the emotions. How many believe that that's true? We're still trying to figure out what that spiritual soul thing is. It is, it is a way of looking at our, our uh, humanity as not just one thing. All right. Next. We were never intended to experience disease, death, issues of mental distress in our original creation by God. That's not, why, that's not what God meant for us when he created us. That isn't what he had in mind. What happened? What happened? Did that, that changed. Well, but <laughs> Adam and Eve's, some people call it original sin, and the results on the created world left us vulnerable. To these things. You weren't supposed to have kidney disease. You weren't supposed to have a heart attack. You were never meant to have that. Once that happened, it's, a, it's on the table. It's on the table. It's not what, you, not what you want, but it is a consequence of that separation choice that Adam made. Now, we know the end of the story is that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected so that we could rejoin and be with the Lord again and be with God in, in, in the future. However, he didn't stop the consequences of what Adam's sin did. We, don't have, we can't do that. God said, I'll take you back in and everything else is going. Well, he does say, as far as the east is from the west, have I separated myself from your sins? But he didn't say the earthly consequences are not emotion. So, here's, this is the one that I would like to, if you have, this is my, my impression. Um, there, I believe there's a Satan. I believe there are demonic forces and they're real. But, though Satan, he can, he doesn't have to assign demons to every issue, such as demons of suicide, demons of eating disorders, etc. I'm not saying there aren't demons. What I am saying is he can accomplish his purpose of deceiving us and separating us from God. He doesn't have to use special demonic forces to, to do it necessarily. He can just tag on to the stuff that's already there the junk that we are in because we are fallen human creatures in a world that's messed up. He doesn't, that, he doesn't have to work too hard sometimes because what can he do? He can do this. He could choose the results that occur. I say the results that occur naturally. I mean after the fall. Consequences, we do something and consequences are there. And God didn't take the consequences away. But couldn't he use deception? Can he engender doubt? Can he discourage you? Can he make you think God doesn't really care about you? Does that happen? It's happened to me. 
So why would not that be so in, in the world that we are now in? So if that's the case, then we need to be sure that we understand that that's, if we put a demon between, as a name for every mental health issue that's there, demon of postpartum depression, demon of eating disorders, demon of whatever, there may be assignments on, that will be with that, but they don't have to be dealt with only, only by prayer. There are other things that we can do. There are other things we can do. Okay, it reminds me if you've you've known people, and maybe you're one of those people. I won't say that, but um, who who want to to lose weight greatly, and they're waiting for that magic pill, and that pill has got to be, you know, there's got to be that pill that makes it really easy. I just take it, and the weight just drops off, and I'm slim and trim and cool. Eh. You would be waiting quite a while, but are there things that you could do to help your health, to help your fitness, to help your weight? In that case, I'm talking about that. Aren't there things we can do to help our emotional status, to help our mental aspect and, and beliefs about things? I happen to think there are. I happen to think there are. All right. Number three, psychological science is a secular humanist field and hence is not consistent with a Christian or biblical worldview. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Got it? Forget that one. But what does that say is that some people have the notion that counseling, psychological services, psychiatry, medication, things based on worldly, quote, unquote, scientific knowledge should not be used by us believers. We should have faith and prayer. That other stuff is hogwash. It's secular. It's humanist. It's no good. Yeah. What about the guy who figured out the, uh, the, the inoculation for polio? I don't know if he was a Christian, but if I had polio, I'd be taking that sucker. You know, it's, it's knowledge. How did he find out? Well, they studied it. They figured it out. They tested it. They did the stuff that, that told us that. So if, if information comes and knowledge comes, no, I'm sorry, doesn't line up. Well, did you guess that I was going to give you an alternative? You could probably guess it already by now, but I'll go ahead and put it up there. A different consideration. Science and Christianity are not in opposition, but they are different lenses or ways to look at the world. Go figure that. Different ways to look at our worldly experience. So, when, so secondarily, do you believe all truth is God's truth? What is really true and genuine is what God, what God knows what that is. He does. He does. So am I going to turn away some things that have truth to them that come through other sources and direct revelation from him, but maybe through somebody else? All right. 
So knowledge and wisdom given to man are gifts to be used for his purpose and glory. I happen to believe that some of the things we know about the brain, about mental health, about counseling, about the body, about all those things, how we develop about uh, chromosomes and genetic, that stuff is information that God allowed us to un unveil through different people, through different people. Do I just throw it out because it came from science? It's not in the Bible. It doesn't say you have 15 blah, 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 chromosomes and a DNA in, in, a, in, in, in any book of genetics. The Bible book of genetics one. No, I don't think it does. So if that's the case, um, I think there are examples in which God has used non-believers and information that comes from wisdom elsewhere to help his people. Do you know any? Think about scripture. Has God ever used unbelievers to help his people? Can you think of any? Yeah. Cyrus. Okay. Cyrus, the king of the Persians, when the Israelites were in, in captivity, what did he do? He turned loose. Nehemiah and Ezra sent them back, gave them free passes, passports to get through, money, gave them stuff, and they got back and they were able to rebuild the temple. Darius was not a Jew, but God used him. I had a, a, an experience a while back that, I, that when I was first at Southeastern that I, one of the admissions people sent me an email. And it said this, Dear Sir, do you teach those theories of godless men in your psychology program at Southeastern? Theories of godless men. Hmm. Freud, maybe? Hmm, could be. Jung, maybe. So they asked me if I wanted to weigh in. And I said, no, I think they already know what they want me to say, and I think I'm not going to say it, so that's kind of a waste of breath. If I were talking to them, though, here's what I would have said. Sir, I'm assuming it was a sir. I might be wrong. I'm not being sexist. I just think it was from the tone. Sir, if you were, had a serious cancer, that there was only one treatment ever known to man by science to have ever been successful whatsoever to cure it, but it was created by an atheist. Would you take it? The theory, the knowledge, the wisdom is not tainted by the person who God gives it to. He gives it to who he chooses. His sovereignty brings it to people that he believes he has placed in a certain place for a certain reason. I'm not a Freudian, okay? And I think Freud's kind of wacky, okay? I just, just to make you feel secure. <laughs> That's not my, psychoanalysis is not my, my thing. However, I will say this. I believe that there are some things that Freud said that we would all agree with. I'm going to test you out on this. How many of you would agree that 
events, significant things that happen to you when you are a child shape some of the issues of life that you have deal with when you're an adult. How many believe that? Freud said that. I'm sorry, guys, you have to throw that out. You can't do that no more. You can't believe your childhood means anything because it's Freud's. Just, just, just thinking. So, I've been going too long. Um, what, what, this is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> um, in terms of my passion for the fact that if you haven't guessed, I believe that Christianity with uh, psychological science, God counseling done by godly people, and even the knowledge that we have about mental health, we should use it. But it's not the only thing we should use. Yeah, we need to pray. We do. We do. None of that stuff happens, is useful, without prayer being the background. If I work with a client, I believe I have one of the greatest advantages of any counselor ever because I'm not alone in that room working with a client. I have somebody else who knows why they're here, even if I don't. And I know that if, I'm, if I am meant to make a difference in this particular person's contact with me, then that will happen if I use everything he's given me. That's what I believe is Christian counseling. We have, not that our counselors don't accomplish anything without it. They actually don't because whatever they do, God gave them to, to the skills to do it and the giftings to do it, so they don't. But even if they never mention his name and never acknowledge the, the creator or Jesus himself, he's still there. He's still there. So I'm, 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 I'm talked out, guys. Not really, but I'm going to stop anyway. Uh, I'd be interested, first of all, do write down some questions on these cards, okay? So that we can uh, kind of gear the future presentations to what you want to know. But, but um, anybody willing to talk about something that I said or something you wanted to know more about that we can might be useful? I think that I encourage my students because sometimes you ask those questions and somebody else was going to ask it, but they didn't and you did because you were too chicken to ask it, and they did. So you get to still benefit from it. So. What do you, what do you want to, what, what is some, something you might want to say to this, <laughs> if any? Emery. Do you have to have problems to go to counseling? No. Yeah. I mean, the definition of problems is pretty diverse, but... Um, I mean, if, if you want to get some insight and wisdom about how to do life better, there's things that you can have some walk alongside if you can walk with somebody through the things you're trying to think through. By the way, that's another myth. I'll say it to you now. Counselors do not tell you how to live your life and solve your problems. Sorry about that. Says so that's what you want. 
We don't have counselors are not the magic pill either. So anyway, but yeah. I mean, there are things we can learn to do better from people who are trained in it. For example, Brianna in marriage and family therapy has had some experience and opportunities to understand some of the dynamics of the intimate relationship of man and wife and parents and children. And how, by being able to observe with somebody, we can help them even improve, even if it's not like dire needs and it's terrible and I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's all going to pot. You know. So, yes, sir. Right. For me to deal with, for me to process. Whatever normal means. Well, he says two things. One, there's no such thing as normal. Yep. But I, so what I, what I was asking was, like, can you help? Boy, you need counseling, can you help? And she said, well, I'll say two things. One, there's no such thing as normal. Two, yes. They can help. help. This can be of help. And ask for Pennzoil. <laughs> I told you my sense of humor was weird. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Others. Others. Yeah. Um, this, did y'all hear what he said? Can you tell the difference between things that are uh, sort of... Okay. I'll say it in the mic for the recording. Um, can you tell the difference between things that have a physical basis or um, a bodily function basis and things that are uh, based on an experience or trauma, if you will, or something that's happened that's huge? Um, I want to answer that this way. If you ever study psychology, you're going to hear this debate, in, in, even in intro to psych, what's nature and what's nurture? And what that means is what's, what are you born with versus what comes because of experiences you have? And the, the answer to your question is like they both are important. And I'll use an example to, to help you. I mean, yes, we, diagnostically, we should try to rule out physical things. We should try and find out if there are health-related issues or if there are body chemistry issues. Uh, an example, somebody who has a low thyroid uh, is, is sub subject to having symptoms like depression, okay? Now, it's not necessarily that they are sad and upset about something in itself, but that the chemistry of how their brain operates provides the physical correlate for, for them to experience depression, okay? Um, but we look at people, anybody heard of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder? Heard of that? Uh, why is it that two people who experience the same event don't have the same response to it? One might have PTSD, and, and the other one just goes 
powering along because they are different, <laughs> uh, and it's not the experience only. So I'm not trying to throw your question away. I think it's, it's important to look at all of those pieces, the body function, the neurochemistry, um, the health issues, as well as life experience and what we have learned, how, to, how we have learned somehow. By the way, you, you learn things before you know you are learned them. We think of learning as I sit down and I want to learn this. I want to memorize this. I want to. You learn stuff that your body and your mind learn stuff that, that you don't even know you learned. It's just a fact. Um, I'll, I'll, an example, um, we learn uh, in our mother's womb, we actually learn things by that experience that we don't even have any idea that it happened. <laughs> But there, there's experience going on. So if there's a traumatic event to mom or things that happen to, in the birth process, for example, those are real events that affect the experience of that infant and child going forward. So, yes, you need to look at all of those things. We need to get, you need, I always advise people to get a good physical, medical physical exam or have had one so they can see are there any signs of medical difficulty that might be contributing to it. Does that, uh, Corey, does that help your, does that answer? Okay. Yeah, Jenna. Right. Right, right. Okay, what she's saying is, or vice versa, the brain has to, to change things to the mind. What she's saying is it used to be thought of uh, that when, when you had brain damage, and that could be because of an uh, accident, injury, uh, blood flow di disruption, better known as a stroke, uh, that that would call, that, that you could no longer, the brain is, the part that's hurt, you can't do anything anymore. It's just done. Um, what we are learning in science is that the, the brain has ways of compensating that we didn't know it could do before. Um, there can actually be regrowth of cells in certain ways it's not fast and easy necessarily, but it can, it does happen. In fact, we, and what we're learning is that if we can facilitate that process of, for example, if you have a, uh, if you have a, a stroke or a brain injury that causes you to have weakness in a limb, not because of the limb being broken, but because your brain doesn't tell it what to do, there are, therapies that people do to push the brain to find other ways to get that information through. The normal route is not available anymore, maybe, for now, or it may become available later, but for now it's not. So how do we get the brain to tell the parts of the body and things to do what they need to do? We try to make it do it. <laughs> you push it. You make it go forward with that. You, put, you push on it. You try to exercise 
the opportunities for the brain to do what it's supposed to do. Um, Janet, I don't know if that, that addresses your question on a short level. Okay, yeah, we, we, can, we can talk about that more in more detail. We can do more, do more detail about and how developmentally we change. Our brains change. If you have a teenager, or if you are a teenager, what it, it means your, your brain's not fully developed, and that's why we have all these problems with teenagers. But no, it, but biologically, it's true that there are certain things that develop over time, and some of the parts of higher functioning don't get done until later. So that's why we don't expect certain things of young people, but we kind of maybe forget that sometimes when people have injured brains too, that we can't expect things sometimes out of them yet because something's not back in order. How are we doing, Brandon? One more question. Yeah, there's no test for it in terms of uh, a, a blood exam or uh, chemistry, blood chemistry. Okay, I'll give you the short answer as best I can, okay? All right. Who's the they? Said he saw it in your eyes. Right. You feel healed from it, yeah. She's saying that that uh, a psychologist has said he sees post-traumatic stress disorder and is diagnosed or, or giving you that term to describe what's going on, but you don't feel it anymore and you don't see it yourself. So that being, that being said, you're wondering, how do they know? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> um, that little book I showed on the first slide, that one is called DSM-5, that's, that's a book that mental health professionals use to communicate about clusters of things that they see that match up in a lot of people that have a name, they give it a name. I like to call it the J.C. Penny catalog of mental disorders. <laughs> Go to shoes and men's and you'll find whatever. Uh, Go to lingerie and another page and you'll find them. So I, it, it is a compendium of descriptions and they have, a group of professionals over time has come up with things that they've seen consistently that match up with, they call them criteria. And if you meet certain criteria, if you have flashbacks, if you have uh, unpleasant memories, if you, are, if you have enough of them in the right period of time, they say, aha, we got it. Well, I, I, I don't like that too much, but I mean, it's, it's useful if we use it well. And if we are going to describe what it means that we're saying when we say it, if instead of saying, I, I looked you in the eyes, what I said, what, it said, what I'm going by is what you've told me about having nightmares, flashbacks, experiences of this, and other things that other people who have had those things have had what we call this. Now, what does that mean to you? Well, I, what we have to do is like, who are you to need to, how do we help you with it? 
so the diagnosis is only one piece of helping. Yeah, symptoms, symptoms is another word for what those criteria might be. What symptoms do you, do you have? And a, a, a person with a, uh, that's doing that kind of diagnosis has at least some experience over time with looking at those, looking at people who have them and people who don't have them and trying to find which, which category, which page in the catalog you belong on. Frankly, there's, I'm gonna say something here, this is my bias. Um, the DSM is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. I like to think that people have mental strengths as well as disorders. So sometimes we get caught up in these labels of things that have gone wrong and we forget to look at what people have that are strengths. So it's kind of looking for something to go wrong. Oh, there it is. You're on page 72. I got you. You know, I, what, 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 that's not really useful. Now, if I say to you, this is why I think this is what's going on, but let's talk about what we can do about that. Let's, let's think through what's possible, you know, in your life habits, ways of thinking, uh, your, your prayerful uh, consideration of God's part in your life, how you look at that. Let's, let's, let's do that. That's what you have to translate that stuff into, real people in front of you. I think nobody can tell you that you have a mental disorder if it doesn't match your experience. You know you. What they can say is when we have seen other people who have some of this stuff that you described you have had or still have, this is the term we have used. Now, all that being said, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do now? How are we going to walk this thing through? How are we going to walk this thing through? I hope that helps a little bit anyway. Okay, that was my last question, eh? All right, fill out those cards and uh, leave them on the bench over there when you go out so that we can direct the next, and then we'll have uh, all three of us, will kind of look at them and see what things are, people are interested in more detail. This is only three sessions, so it only can cover so much. Um, and... Uh, but let's, um, let's pray together before we close. And if, if you have individual questions or you want prayer otherwise, please, you can come up afterwards and we can, uh, we can pray with you. Father, I pray that this information that you have provided and the stuff you've given me to say is being used, will be used well. It will give your people some hope some peace, some opportunity to recognize your hand in their lives and to see that we are in a community of believers, that we have some healing power in the community that we have that you've given us as we walk alongside. So with each person's individual needs and each person's things that are going well, I just, we just thank you for being in, in the timing of everything and that you're going to allow them to get where they need to go that meets your, uh, your expectations. 
So, Father, we thank you for what you have done. We give you the praise for what you've yet to do. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.